1: To inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest of a podcast today is Akil Jabber, Investment Director and General Partner at Horizon Capital
0: you're building a company like try and think outside the box and you know be so good they can't ignore you I find there's kind of two kind of trends that I found of how people stumble upon starting their their company number one you have the people who are I would say maybe closer to somebody like me who are just they just know it from the beginning from the young like I am an entrepreneur I have to build something and then once I build the next one I go to the next one and it's just in my DNA and then there's the other side that people don't think about is they're just you know they're stuck into a problem that they never even thought to monetize or build as a solution, so they just build a solution because they're creators. The moral of the story is like it doesn't matter. You don't have to be a, you know a born entrepreneur or think that it's it's built into you. You just have to be able to look around you, look for a problem to solve. If you feel you can solve it, you know, take that courage, make that you know take that step. I think you have nothing to lose. You'd be surprised with yourself.
1: This is Akhil. He's an expert in growth marketing strategy and business operations. He's also an engineer who was previously a partner and operations director at Wired Investors, a micro-private equity firm focused on digital asset acquisitions and has been involved in over 15 company acquisitions. Today, he's a general partner and investment director at Horizon Capital, an investment firm that invests and acquires SaaS companies of over 500k in ARR. He's also the host of the SaaS District podcast, where he interviews entrepreneurs and investors on topics such as leadership, B2B sales, growth marketing, innovation, scaling, funding, and M&A. And the combination intrigued me, and hence I invited Akil to my podcast. We explore what's essential to make the marriage between a startup and an investor magic. What do investors look for? What do they value and care about? And what turns them off? Besides that, we discuss through the eyes of the investor what it takes to build a remarkable software business. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, that it doesn't matter how you start and build your SaaS business, the power is in starting. Ideas are cheap, the value is in bringing it alive. Secondly, why you should avoid fitting into the norm. Build your business the way you want to build it. Thirdly, that your ability to have customers stick around for the long term is more important than growing fast. And fourthly, We tend to be proud in saying that we do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G, but focus is king. It's more important to show how you do one thing extremely well. Well, hi, Akil. Welcome on my podcast. And glad you could make the time for this because it's going to be an interesting difference this time when we talk about what you see in the market being a podcaster yourself. Yeah, yeah. We're switching seats today. So thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. I mean, I, I found out about your podcast. I've been listening to it for a while now, SaaS District, which is a recommended podcast to listen to if you're in the tech business. And of course, well, my, my audience is all tech entrepreneurs on a mission. We always like to, I mean, I always like to share the stories about yeah, the value that we can unlock when technology and, and people blend in the right way. I've got a lot of questions for you in terms of what you see and yeah, get the different perspective that you get from the audience that you have and the people that you got on your podcast. Before we start... A little bit about you, what's your passion? what drives you?
0: hmm yeah it's a big question, but something interesting for you so a lot of people may not know this, but you know so when we launched Horizon capital, people think of that as a, as a typical private equity firm right they with a private equity firm, they generally have a bad rep right for how they they take over companies they have very little care of you know maybe the people the employees the team, and it's all about maximizing profits at, at all costs for, for investors' interest right when I started horizon, it wasn't about the the profits first. It was actually, you know, many people don't know this. It was a vision of building a portfolio of entrepreneurs. That's what drives me is helping entrepreneurs, you know, become who they are through a different channel. So most people think that there's only one way you have to go out there and, and build a company, you know, raise capital, go out through that route. But there is another route, which is, you know, entrepreneurship through acquisition, where you acquire a company, you manage it and you become, gain this experience as a CEO. So what, I like, what drives me is you know providing that opportunity for entrepreneurs all around the world. So we want to build like a you know world international portfolio to manage world-class software companies and help them gain experience as CEOs and build their skill set, obviously, with our support and our network to help them succeed.
1: Yeah, I must say, I mean, you started talking about private equity. You just hit all the spots. <laughs> that's the perspective, perspective, perspective I got it as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the way I've come to learn about it as well. Sometimes even hands-on. But I really like, like what, you're, what you're setting out on then, that the vision is there to, to help these entrepreneurs become who they want to become and, and to bring their company alive around that. Yeah, kudos for you in terms of having this mission. And uh, I'm sure that it'll get a lot of eyeballs with regards to people that want to listen to that in a, in a different way from the ones that actually yeah, think about you in a different way and being this profit-hungry beast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I hope I can change my minds. Yeah, so I mean you started at Horizon Capital and this year you started the podcast. Yeah. Like I said, the SaaS District Podcast. You started this podcast around May this year, so in the middle of the pandemic. Tell me a
0: little bit about the purpose behind the podcast. Sure. So with uh you know being in our industry that we're in, we're very much in the relationship industry. When people think about, you know, selling their business, finding a partner to work with you know, it's not a very straightforward, it's not a very easy transaction. It's not somebody they just, you know, find off the, you know, a quick Google search and and make a decision. People are sensitive with their business. They want to work with people they trust, people they feel can take care of their babies. So, I mean, essentially that's what it is. We want to build those relationships with people early on, people to know who we are, to understand what we're about. And then when they decide to get to that point, I hope we can have that conversation. And then another point is, you know, it's really to meet fantastic people around the world, right? Like we've had guests like, you know, Neil Patel, he's a, you know, world-class digital marketer. We've had Patrick Campbell from ProfitWell. We've had, you know, Rand Fishkin from Moz, you know, these are all people I, I would have never thought would have ever jumped on when we started off. Right. So having these guests learning from these guys who are, you know, industry leaders, I think that that was, that was huge for us. So, you know, finding that, that way of building those relationships. And now we have those, you know, conversations and open open door that we can talk to some of these people. So that's been huge. And then secondly, I would say it's just been, you know, to help build our brand and, and marketing in 2020, just through, you know, creating creating content, repurposing the content, and then learning from other SaaS thought leaders in the space.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't start my podcast with that particular reason, but I cannot absolutely attest to to what you're saying. It's a great way to get a conversation going, to meet fantastic people, inspiring people, and to take it from there. And yeah, it's, I mean, talking about podcasts in general for people that are thinking about starting a podcast, these are absolutely reasons to consider. And if you want to get a closer relationship with customers, fantastic mechanism as well. So, what yeah. sparked the idea to start a podcast in May this year?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the timing was just kind of coincidental. It was part uh-huh. of our 2020 kind of marketing plans. You know, in January, we kind of set out. You know, some ideas of where we want to focus our marketing and building our branding. And, you know, with our budget, timing just happened to work out then because we, you know, I've actually started a podcast before years ago. And, and one area where I, I failed, and this is probably something I suggest to people if you're looking to start a podcast, make sure you build a system in place beforehand because it's not just, you know, picking up a mic and, and talking, because there's a lot of, a lot of the work is, you know, beforehand preparation and then also after, which was the post production, the editing. And that's where I failed. So I was fine at recording and preparing. But I realized before going in this, I don't want to fail. I want to do this consistently. I need to get a podcast producer. So that's what was the role I figured out that needs to kind of solve my problem here to make sure I I deliver what I promise. So we ended up hiring a, a full-time podcast producer. And yeah, that's kind of, you know, by the time May came around, that's when we decided to launch after we planned everything. And it's it's been smooth ever since, I think, making that decision. Yeah.
1: Well, good point. I mean, if you're in the podcast, if you start with podcasts, you have to commit and, and just be consistent with it, then, then it works. So if you look back to from May to today, and we're recording this at the end of the year, what has been a story that really stuck with you from one of those podcasts?
0: Mm. So I think there's several of them, but I'll mention one. Maybe it's not a story, but it's something that you know a founder I spoke to that just really resonated with me and how he ran his business. And that's Peldi, if you're not familiar, Peldi runs a company called Balsamic. And uh-huh. yeah, so they have something called the Balsamic Mantras. And one of them that he mentions that really stuck with me is it's called Be So Good They Can't Ignore You or Their, their Golden Puzzle. Okay. And this is where people may maybe it's something you can you know apply on your side as well. But basically what he says is what they do is they really want customers to get them. Okay. And they think outside of the box to provide them like a complete solution. So it's not just a, you know, a, a SaaS company. When So I'll just give you some examples. So when people are working and they're editing their landing pages, they're designing something, for example, they'll show inspiring quotes, right? Well, people, things are loading. That's a small thing. They actually put something like, what should I make for dinner? So when they see somebody like, you know, working on their platform for five, six hours straight, you know, you're getting in the zone, you're working, They'll actually throw up a pop-up. Hey, maybe it's time to eat. Here's do you want a list of uh, items to prepare your dinner? And here's a menu you can prepare today. So they really think outside the box. Like yeah. you know, you don't think about design tool and something that gives you you know design menu. So I thought that was super cool. And now I love to think of that. It's like okay, really, you know, when you're building a company, like try and think outside the box and you know be so good they can't ignore you, right? I think that you mentioned that as well. I think you know some other thought leaders mentioned that thought, but. They actually applied in in a very interesting way. So people who are that's what it's all
1: about, you know. I mean, that's also why I wrote my book. The remarkable effect everybody can do remarkable things, and these are exactly the things that people talk about. Might not be super valuable, but it's memorable. You being taken care of, you being thought after, and as a user, yeah, that's fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I love the story. I need to kind of figure these guys out myself and see what they're doing. So you got the podcast started in the middle of the pandemic. Like you said, it wasn't, it wasn't a coincidence or it wasn't meant to be going like that. It was just yeah, pure part of the planning. You've recorded, from what I've seen, close to 65 different podcasts. you do actually two per week, which yeah. is uh, amazing. And what makes me curious there is, so talking to all these entrepreneurs and all these guests that you had on your podcast, is there maybe a red thread that you see al- along them in terms of maybe how they've behaved? How they've reacted, mm-hmm. what they've gone through in order to well to survive the company or to take it to the next level.
0: Yeah. So I think there's usually so typically we have three types of guests on our shows, right? There are SaaS marketers, they're really good at, you know, one specific part of, of marketing. We have SaaS founders and CEOs. And then we have SaaS investors. And you know, all three of those, you know, at the end of the day, they work with SaaS companies, they understand them. Even with investors, they work with CEOs, they understand trends as well. I would share kind of one thing that maybe a trend I see is like why CEOs or how CEOs become entrepreneurs and how they start companies. I find there's kind of two kind of trends that I found of how people stumble upon starting their their company. I think, number one, you have the people who are, I would say, maybe closer to somebody like me who are just, they just know it from the beginning, from the young, like, I'm an entrepreneur. I have to build something. There's no other way. Than being an entrepreneur okay so like i keep looking for a problem to solve and i go out there and test it out the market i build something and then once i build the next one i go to the next one and it's just in my dna and then there's the other side that people don't think about is they're just you know they're stuck into a problem that they never even thought to monetize or build as a solution as a SaaS company they're just there you know they stumble upon a problem and you know whether they're let's say they're working at an agency and they're talking to some clients and they mention this problem repeatedly. So they just build a solution because they're creators. And just by creating that problem and they offer it, then they realize they just realize like, hey, I can actually start charging for this. This actually yeah. become a business. So I guess the moral of the story is like it doesn't matter. You don't have to be, you know, a born entrepreneur or think that it's it's built into you. You just have to be able to look around you, look for a problem to solve. And you know, if you're if you can create something that seems you know, reasonable and people are happy with, with paying for you for, you can also go down that path. So it's probably those two that I see. And both of them end up doing really well. There's no winner, I say, across each of them. Completely agree.
1: And I've actually talked to a couple of entrepreneurs that told me more or less the same story the last yeah. couple of weeks. And it's fascinating how that starts. And it's, it's often when, you are, when you're not looking for it, it will come your way. Almost that, that type of yeah, approach. Exactly. And I think what makes them successful is that because they are they're solving such a valuable problem, it's genuine, it's real, and they're committed to solve it, and even if it's solving for themselves and I think that's where the, where the click is because there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, and i can I mean, I can point them out that they merely created a solution in search of a problem because the technology is so cool. exactly and that's how we, I think yeah, you separate the winners from the losers. So, right. I mean, completely agree with you, and it, yeah. it it from all angles, this can just this aha moment it can just hit you at some point, and then it's up to do you have the guts to stand up and do something about it
0: and that's I think that's the key point right I don't think it, there is no right answer, so take you know if you feel you can solve it, you know take that courage make that you know take that step, I think you have nothing to lose, you'd be surprised with yourself right exactly that's true yeah. so
1: talking about yeah, those, those interviews, I and mean, you just pointed at yeah, a very good example. What are some of the key takeaways that we can learn from if you look at yeah these interviews that you've done? Mm-hmm. And if you look, for example, at those type of uh, entrepreneurs, what key takeaways would you, would you
0: highlight? So a couple of things. I think if you're looking to start, I think, you know, start today. If in your mind right now you're thinking, hey, I do have a problem I want to solve or I am solving a problem right now start early, don't don't wait you know, too long to get started and go out there and start selling today, like bringing, you know, talking to get u- real user feedback, get kind of the, go through the process of like trying to build a product and show the highlight, the solution. And then there's no right way. People think, you know, when you're building a startup, you have to go down the capital raise way and it's scary to go out there and raise capital. There is actually nothing wrong. I think there's something like a stat, like 87% of company or, or more, SaaS startups are actually bootstrapped And, you know, most people don't even hear about them. All you hear about is the ones that, you know, show up on TechCrunch and and all those, you know, big articles. But there's nothing wrong with building a successful bootstrap company. So that company, I gave you an example, Balsamic. Yeah, they've been completely bootstrapped, super successful. They're growing nicely, you know, year over year. And that's just, you know, they're happy with that. So be okay with just, you know, don't try to fit into the norm of what you see on, on TV or on the news or social media. Build it how you want to build it. That's the freedom of being an entrepreneur. Is you get to, you get to build what you want, how you want. So yeah, that's something I'd say. Just- yeah, I mean
1: that's that's an interesting discussion. I mean, and when I kind of reflect on the masterminds that I do a weekly on a weekly basis with the CEOs that I got in my tribe, this is a topic that comes by quite a lot actually. Like when to go for funding and what is the right moment, when not to go there. And at the end, of course, when you start a company, yeah, I mean to stay bootstrapped, of course, is ideal because then you have, I mean, you got all the cards in your own hand, and there's no one you're responsible for or really responsible to. But of course, exactly. when you don't have the capital, yeah, I mean, then you're in this dilemma that you get this fantastic idea and you want to get it to market. And yeah, you need to get access to that funding. So yeah. if you look at it, it's not from a selfish perspective, being in that game,
0: mm. but what do you prefer to see when companies come for funding? You mean like raising capital? Like what do, yeah. I, what do we look for? Or what do you think You know, the market looks Yeah, like? Exactly. So there's two things, I think the biggest things that, so we, what we look at specifically is, or I think, you know, VCs will look at, is probably growth, how fast you're growing. So I think if your goal is to add fuel to the fire and grow as quickly as possible, if that's maybe your number one goal when building your company, absolutely go down the raising capital side. Yeah. However, if you're, but I, I think people mix that up is like, they don't, they're not clear on what their why is for building their startup. And they think that is the main goal is like, if I'm building this, I have to grow it fast. But there is nothing wrong with growing at a consistent, you know, like the marathon kind of approach where you're growing, you know, happily growing 10, 20, 30% year over year. From an investor perspective, that doesn't look too interesting, but it doesn't matter. This is your business. You get to decide what you want to do. I think growth is probably the biggest thing. Retention is another one people look at, right? Like, okay, you can grow as quickly as possible. If you're losing those customers, I think retention, how are you keeping those clients happy? How long are they sticking around for? I think that really shows the value of your, your product you're building and the problem you're solving. Yeah. I completely agree on that as well.
1: So, I mean, looking at what you do on a day-to-day basis, you're you're the investment director at horizon capital, heavily involved in growth, marketing, and SaaS acquisitions. So, Talking about that particular part of your job, what do you specifically look for or hope to find in the due diligence that you do with those companies that you
0: want to add yeah. to your portfolio? Like on the do due diligence hope? side, yeah. specifically, yeah, what do we hope to find or so, yeah. uh, or not or hope not to find, of course, it's that's the not easy part. <laughs> yeah, so we actually just got into an LOI with the, with the company right now and we're starting due diligence, so I can kind of mention it, but. We're just basically, I mean, due diligence is just verifying their claims really is like, you know, when we look at a company, they're going to send us some documents. This is what how good we're doing. They're painting their own story of what their company is, where it's been, what the good things about their business. Obviously, all we're looking to do is just verify, you know, verify the numbers, verify the product yeah. and look for any red flags, right? So anything that are deal breaker. So most people think like you shouldn't find anything. Actually, your goal is to look for, your main goal is to find you know, any issues or any problems with the company and just uncover them and bring them up. So at least you're aware of the risk. So the worst thing you can do is you know, blow through due diligence, kind of go quickly, acquire the company, and then you know, find all these problems later, which I think happens more often than not. Let's just try to find as much as possible, either if it's financially related, if it's something that's just too high of a risk, maybe we have to adjust our offer, or we just have to plan for it and you know, maybe make some adjustments on how we thought we'd operate the company
1: yeah that's that's completely right and yeah I mean you can you, i think you cannot ask enough questions at the end. It's about perspectives and about uh, like how people spin their their story talking about that you you made a point about uh, companies not being clear about their why how important mm. is that according to you from an
0: acquisition perspective or
1: just in or general i mean like, mm. i mean if you look at customer companies that succeed mm. and not succeed and I mean, my, my book starts with like, what's, what's your big wave, which mm-hmm. is a reflection on what's your big idea, what's your why, purpose mm-hmm. behind the business.
0: How important is that to have that? I think it is important. You know, I'll give you an example. So when we look at companies, of what where we, when we look to acquire a company, one feature or one kind of criteria we really like is founders who are really, you know, very product focused. And their why is they want to build a really good product for their user and they really care about that user experience. So similar to, you know, that experience I talked about, that's what I like. I like people who, you know, their why is, how can I make this better? How can I keep improving this? And ca- how can I make sure my clients are happy? I guess, you know, just simple like that, you know, from a business perspective, I think that shows a lot of your character and how you approach and, and look at business versus like, you know, how can I just maximize, make short-term decisions for a short-term gain. So, I think it's the people who can look long-term. I think that that really resonates with me.
1: Let me make a small interruption here. Akil just made an excellent remark about a trade that defines a remarkable software business. They are very product-focused. Or better, they deeply care about the positive change they are going to create for their customers with their product. They know that's the harder thing to do. But if they get it right, successful following volumes that they can't predict. So they play the infinite game, as Simon Sinek would say. They are in there for the long-term value creation and don't create shortcuts to maximize short-term gains. So if you have this mindset and you want to master these traits as well, I have two options for you to start. Firstly, read or listen to my book, The Remarkable Effect, and you can find that on amazon.com. Secondly, get into action right away and surround yourself by a group of people that think and act like you. Tech founders and CEOs that will help you remove your blind spots, explore new paths and sharpen your thinking. How? Just visit valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. Interesting point from your perspective. Yeah. I mean, to be in that business of, you know, in the venture capital business and the private equity type of roles, Mm -hmm. what I typically see is that the moment that happens, but that's also maybe my perspective, Mm -hmm. and maybe it's wrong, Mm -hmm. that everything shifts from the long-term to the short-term the moment that happens. You're saying exactly that the opposite is so important that you look for value first, profit later. Because the mm-hmm. moment you deliver the value first and your customers recognize that, the value will come in amounts that you cannot even plan for. So, yeah, I like that as well. Yeah. So, kind of going back to the whole due diligence process and how you're involved with the companies that you work with and that what you want to add to your portfolio. What are examples of what are two issues that you
0: often see that are easy to avoid or that we should avoid by all, by all means? So if you're looking to acquire a company, what are some red flags that maybe you want to try and, yeah, I'll mention a few. So one is, you know, churn. So like I mentioned, you know, how high, how fast and how high are your customers churning from using your product? So we typically like to avoid, you know, double digit churn, monthly churn. So we have some customers, you know, who are focused on the SMB space, you know, they got 10, 12, 15% month over churn, you know, it could be hard unless, you you know, there's kind of a long-term play there where you can go more up market, you know, that, that can be a little bit challenging to work with. Second thing I look for is like high customer concentration, meaning maybe like 30% of your revenue, 50%, 80% of your revenue is dependent on one client. We see that a lot. So, you know, maybe they're enterprise focused and, you know, one client just represents way too much. For us, that risk is too high. Even if it's like an annual contract, you can build out valuation and earn out components into how we structure that offer to mitigate that risk. But then the problem becomes, and this happened before, I've seen this happen with other, you know, investors is... What do you do when you lose that client, right? So even if you didn't pay, you know, the full amount up front, let's say you lose half your revenue overnight. Now you're working with a business that's half the size. You have half the resources to work with. And now, you know, it's just it's just a lot more difficult to manage because now, you know, maybe you have to lay off half the team or, or whatnot. And you're kind of, you know, going on a downward trend. So that's the second thing I would say. Yeah, those are probably the big ones. And then the third thing, I think from our perspective, which is a little different than VC is that we look for companies that are less dependent on the founder. You know, where like a VC is looking for, they're betting on the rider, right? We're on the horse, or you have the rider and the horse. In our case, we actually prefer that you actually built your company to sell. I don't know if you read that book, Built to Sell. But you want to build those systems in place. You have the team in place and you have a process. So if anybody was to come in and take over, it would be a smooth transition. And, you know, a lot of the relationships aren't based on, on the founder. We actually prefer not to be so anybody can take over.
1: Yeah, that's right. These are, of course, companies that are further down the road than companies that typically get venture capital. They are are beyond the scale mode already. And yeah, of course, then all these decisions need to be in place. And I I agree with you that that's a fantastic book. It is. So going like twisting the topic a little bit towards like my passion, Mm -hmm. creating remarkable software businesses. What is your definition of a remarkable software business? So how do you spot one from 100 miles?
0: So remarkable software business. So, you know, I'm an engineer. So, you know, taking the product out of the question, I, you know, I look at the numbers. I would say, you know, the two things I mentioned, right? So growth, how fast are they growing? If you're growing 15, 50, you know, whatever, 50% month over month, you're obviously doing something really, really well, right? And the market is, is responding to it accordingly. So, you know, growth is a big thing. And then the second thing would be, like I mentioned, retention. If yeah. If people are retaining, sticking around, and they're using it, they're sharing it, they're giving good feedback. I mean, that's, just, that's a winner, right? You can't say no to that. No, correct. And I mean,
1: at the end, I think these, I mean, it's only possible if you got this retention, it's only possible to have the growth, those growth numbers. Of course, you need exactly. to keep adding because retention of, uh, without, without adding new is of course also not new, of n- nothing good. <laughs> yeah, and You won't have this, this growth number. But yeah, it's, these are the signals at the end that these companies really bring to market. If you're talking about yeah, the monetary side of it, so yeah, being in the in the tech space, running a podcast with the day-to-day stories of the challenges and the hopes and the aspirations of people in well, tech entrepreneurs I call them. Often you you're likely hit specific topics that yeah interest you more than others. So what is inspiring you most these days?
0: Personally, I think you know building teams, you know A-class, world-class teams. I think is always interesting. I think, like I said, I like to focus on the people first. Uh, not only how to bring on the best, but also retain them. So I think I'm always, you know, learning about that. And then, you know, I like to share kind of my learnings. I think, you know, people follow me on my, my YouTube or, you know, our podcast. I think the goal is A, extracting, you know, what's working from industry leaders. I'm not an expert in everything. I can't be, but I love to share kind of what I do. And then it's finding those experts and and sharing what worked for them, what didn't work. More importantly, I think what didn't work. I think the failures are, are more important. Just like I share like hey, avoid this in a company versus saying, you know, look for this in a company, because I think that's more valuable. That's where, you know, there's millions of dollars lost or made, and you can, you know, reap that kind of benefit from people's other's experience. So I, I like to share and learn and help other people can can take what I what I share and, and apply it themselves.
1: Yeah. Well, to sort of round it off now to close it, I mean, I, I think you picked up on a very, very good topic to learn. And I think there's there's never a more important moment now that, than, than ever there's ever have been that you have to keep learning There's there's, there's no such, such, such thing that you've learned it all and that you can get away with it i mean i yeah. started my business about three and a half years ago and i thought i had a pretty interesting career behind me and learned a lot and now i realize in the three and a half mm-hmm. years that i've learned so much and things that yeah you cannot even believe and that makes the whole thing so inspiring so to be open for that and to adopt it and to embrace it and do something with it. If I would have to ask you for one advice that you would give tech entre- entrepreneurs to focus or to defocus mm. based on what you've learned and the tidbits of wisdom that you've gained,
0: what advice would you give? Like specifically for just building their business or? Yeah. Yeah. Or to prepare for, to get external fun- funding, to talk to organizations like you. So I think you, you nailed a word. I think that's super important, which is focus. I think a lot of people maybe that's more like an underrated thing. People love to say we're doing a b c d e f g. Show me how you're doing a extremely well. I guess so, show me your focus. Show me how you're focused and why this one problem is super important. How you're doing everything around to build around it to solve this, you know, one single focus. So I think people who can show that skill of how they can say no more effectively to other challenges or other opportunities super easy to take on everything that comes your way i think for me i think that's a trait that's super valuable and i find interesting to see in entrepreneurs completely agree
1: and mm-hmm. uh, i think that's a nice one to close off with mm-hmm. because we think we're focused and we're not and it shows everywhere and it's just having an eye for that or to not develop a blind spot for it let's put it that way because mm-hmm. it happens so easily with everybody and I see that constantly, if I kind of reflect on the discussions that we have on our tribe, it's constantly those aha moments of, you know, you're not focused enough and it's on the product, it's on the market, it's on the marketing, it's everywhere. So wise advice. Thank you for that. So yeah, I really enjoy this podcast. We're at the top of the hour and I'll keep listening to your podcast. I'm a fan of it. Is there anything that you would like to add anything like a closing word that you would like to
0: share? No, I think that, that was it. If people want to get in touch with me, you know, Akil Jabbar on LinkedIn. And yeah, I mean, I wish you guys the best in your journey. Very good. Well, thank you, Akil. I picked
1: up a couple of pretty interesting ideas, highlighted them and let's keep sharing this with the world.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Anton. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure.
1: And this ends my conversation with Akhil. I hope you enjoyed it. And if so, please leave a review on iTunes. And if it inspired you, please share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, Thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Akil Jabber, investment director and general partner at Horizon Capital. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode.